Greetings from the Bluegrass State. That's Kentucky, if y'all didn't know. We want to tell you about the hottest new podcast on the block, Coffee and Cases. If you fancy yourself an at-home detective. If you find yourself yelling at the TV during that new true crime documentary. Then you, my friend, are a certified sleuth hound. Just like us. On Coffee and Cases podcast, you'll hear about the missing, the murdered, and the unsolved. But the cases you've rarely, if ever, heard about. All from the perspective of two teacher friends, rule followers, and self-proclaimed scaredy cats. Join me, Allison. And me, Maggie. Each week, as we take on cases that are often overlooked, but are screaming for justice. Finally, a true crime podcast where you don't have to monitor the foul language. Coffee and Cases is a true crime guilty pleasure that you don't actually have to feel guilty about. Check out Coffee and Cases every Thursday for a new episode on your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. The Springfield Three refers to an unsolved missing persons case that began on June 7th, 1992. So today marks the 31st anniversary of when friends Susie Streeter and Stacy McCall and Susie's mother, Cheryl Levitt, went missing from Cheryl's home in Springfield, Missouri. And so this is what we will be discussing today. I'm Raven Rollins, and I'm here with Professor Mandy McNeely, and we have some special guests today, Coffee and Cases podcast with us. Hi, ladies. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. So I'm Allison Williams. Um, I have been interested in true crime since I was a wee little girl, and uh, I met with Maggie, who will introduce herself in just a moment. And we decided to really focus on unsolved true crime, um, highlighting lesser known cold cases where we can interview the family and hopefully really make a difference in terms of families knowing that they have support of continuing to get stories out there. Yeah, that, that's really our, our main focus. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's great. We do that too. Um, we, but we're also kind of anthology based, I guess. Mm. Uh, we do a different case every episode. And a lot of times it's solved, but if we do a solved case, it's because we have something we want to talk about with that case. And we usually gotcha. have experts on, whether it's a detective, whether it is a prosecutor. Um, we talked about the McGirt case once with the um, prosecutor from a nation, tribal nation. And so mm-hmm. we always have something we want to talk about specifically if we do a, a solved case like that. So we have, it's Allison and Maggie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Coffee and Cases. That's mm-hmm. it. We can find you anywhere. Maggie's going to yes. introduce herself. <laughs> Maggie, Maggie, you didn't introduce away. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I am Maggie, so I'm the other half of Coffee and Cases. And Allison and I met because I moved 
to the classroom that was beside of her and she was kind of quiet and everybody was like, Allison's such a great teacher, but she just kind of does, you know, sticks to herself. She's always really busy. And I was like, I'm going to make her my friend. (laughs) (laughs) And and I did. 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 Can I ask you guys where you guys are located at? So we're in Kentucky. Somewhere Mm -hmm. in Kentucky. You can probably tell. Do you guys focus on just Kentucky cases or is it Southern cases or anything? We're, we do anything and everything. Anything. Okay. I yeah. particularly love Canada. Ooh. Oh, oh, yeah. Maggie's obsessed with Canada. Yeah. yeah, we've done a lot of Canadian cases. But Maggie just covered a local case to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm working on a couple of those as well. So we do like when we can find local yeah. ones, but we cover them from anywhere. Oh, awesome. that's pretty awesome. So we cover ours. Our coverage area is um, the Southwest and the Deep South. That's what we do. And okay. we try to focus on our home, which is Oklahoma, when we can, especially with cold cases. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on here. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you guys were Southern sisters. I'm into yes, it. Yeah, we are. I am Raven. I'm a private investigator. Uh, mainly these days, I just use that for investigating the cases we work on, especially the cold cases. We do a lot of mm-hmm. behind the scenes stuff. Yes. Um, and like our even the ones that we've already done, we're still constantly working on behind the scenes. Um, right. And Mandy here is a professor. Yes. You want to? Do you want to tell, or do you, like, do you want me yes. to tell? You what can you tell do? all about me. Uh, victimology. It, she did the course writing for victimology and domestic violence. And domestic violence. Wow. Uh, psychology. Impressive. You teach psychology and critical thinking, yes. ethics. Yes. So. My new class is ethics in a human services field. Cool. That's oh, my new nice. Class. There you teaching go. That in a couple weeks. So. Let's dive in. Want to? Okay. Okay. Let's do it. So we are going to talk about a case that is in Springfield, Missouri. Now I wanted to start out and talk a little bit about the community. I think it does make a difference. And I, I do think that it says a lot for this case, the community where the home was located. I think there's a lot that kind of comes out of location for this. So Springfield, Missouri is, I don't know, not very far from Branson, Missouri. No, it's like 30 minutes, I think, was the drive. Yeah, It is up in the Ozarks. Now, people think the Ozarks is just Arkansas, but it is not. It is Missouri (laughs) and Arkansas. It it runs a pretty big expanse. Uh, But Springfield has a higher crime rate now. What did it have a high crime rate back then, or was it kind of average? Back then, I would say it was about average. I don't remember because we're talking 1992, and I lived, Mm -hmm. I lived near there in 1992. I lived in Kansas City area in 1992. You did? I did. I was there, and I remember all through high school that I didn't really hear anybody. Of course, I was in high school. You know, that was not my main focus. But, but, you know, we heard about things happening. And it was always in Kansas City, never Springfield. Right. And since then, Springfield, I love Springfield. There's so many great things Mm -hmm. in Springfield. But it has become one of the highest crime populations in the United States. Um, Springfield is up there with some of your major crime areas in the country. Mm. I don't know what kind of... I don't know where, where that switch was flipped, really. Yeah. But mm. back in 1992, when I was in the area, and there were times where we would go to Branson, you know, and so 
I, you know, we've driven through there many, many times. I've visited there. Now I've been there, like stayed there, you know, now. And yeah. I don't remember the crime rate ever being that high back then. I think it was a pretty relatively low crime rate, yeah. I think, for violent crimes. Mm-hmm. Probably right, petty right. crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was probably about normal, mm-hmm. average. So with that said... I wanted to explain that. So you kind of had, because I know people, Springfield has gotten a bad name. Right. When you say Springfield, Missouri, they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I wanted to bring that up because I wanted to kind of been there many times, stayed there, love it there. It's beautiful. So just wanted to add that in. So this takes place, and I know Raven had already has already said that, takes place on June 7th, 1992. I want to go back a day because the day before... You have friends Suzanne Streeter and Stacy McCall graduating from high school. From Kickapoo High School. Yes. And people are like, what a grad- great name. I know. <laughs> well, yeah. We have Kickapoo here. Kickapoo. We, yeah, we got a Kickapoo. And Shawnee oh. in it. And Shawnee. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great name. That's awesome. Yeah. And so people, this is where I get another question. I've had several people say, they graduated on June 6th? Isn't that late? Not for that area. Oh, really? Right. Schools in Missouri, Kansas, they all end usually in June. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know that. Um, they start later in the in this fall than we do here. So mm. I remember starting every year at high school, we wouldn't start till after Labor Day. Oh, wow. Really? Now, wow. They, it's different now. Now it is. But back then, we started like the Tuesday or like the Tuesday or Wednesday after Labor Day. Wow. And then we would be out like the first week in June. So that is about normal for that time it's a really frame. Really hot to time be out. to go to school. I know. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the way they do it. I don't know. Weird. So sometimes go through June and Eastern Kentucky just because of yeah. weather. Oh, right. yeah. 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 Well, and I will say Missouri and Kansas, their severe weather time is June starts in June mm-hmm. and it doesn't oh. start in May. So mm. there's their severe weather time doesn't really start until June. Oh, okay, cool. So mm. there's kind of okay. the more, you know, back history on that. So now that we have the back history kind of on the community, I want to talk about the three people that this case is centered around. We have Cheryl Levitt, who was a white female. I want to describe them so you have a good idea of yeah, who they are. Yeah, since they are still missing. Yes, yeah. these are still missing persons. They have never been found. Um, she would she would be around 78 years old today. She was 47 when she disappeared on June 7th, 1992. Um, she was five feet tall. Exact. Oh, tiny. Tiny, I know. 110 pounds. She had So small. I know. I know it is blonde hair and brown eyes. Her hair was short. Um, it was it was a more of a bleached blonde hair. Okay. They said mm-hmm. um, freckles on her neck and chest area. Mm-hmm. And her daughter lived with her, and her name was Suzanne Streeter, or she they called her Susie. Susie, Susie Q. Susie yeah, Q. I love that. And I know she was a white female. She was 19 at the time. She would be around 50 years old now. This oh. is how long this has been. Dang. I know. I feel like like anytime we talk about something in the 80s or 90s, because that's like our time, mm-hmm. and then you're like, that was 50 years ago. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God. I know. <laughs> it I know. makes me feel so old. Yes. It is. Yeah. <laughs> and so she, now 
I want to say that the FBI has her as 5'2 to 5'5 in height, but every other article or place that I've... Descriptor. Descriptor says she's 5'2. So I don't know why they have her. Yeah, I've never seen to 5'5 except on that. Yeah. That FBI flyer we looked at. And mm-hmm. that's the official FBI flyer. So that's, I'm not really sure. Get it together, FBI. I know. I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> but she was she was tiny too. She was 102 pounds. My goodness. It's little bitty. Um, blonde hair and brown eyes. She had shoulder length hair. She had a three and a half inch scar on the top of her right forearm. And she also had a small, really small tumor over the left corner of her mouth. Susie has been described as very independent, tough, very fashionable. Her cousin, Sarah um, Beeson, described her. And she said she's very fashionable, always had the latest fashions, which back then would have been Gap, Gerbo, yeah. Banana Republic, oh. Oh, yeah. Kohan, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. That was yeah. kind of the, because they're not much older than me. No. Like, mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. What year did you graduate? High I graduated in 95. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm 97, oh, so are? I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. And so they they graduated in 92, so they were just, you know, three years older than me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and let's see, what else about her? They said that she was very, you know, she had a lot of friends, just very outgoing, kind of just fun. Her friend... That was with her on the night they disappeared. Her name was Stacy McCall, a white female. She was 18 at the time, and she would be around 49 years old now. Okay. And she was 5'3 and 120 pounds. These girls. I know. They just make them small there? I know. (laughs) know. They do not eat their spinach. (laughs) (laughs) There's no food in Springfield. (laughs) Yeah. Jeez. Okay. So she had dark blonde. I would say, almost like a. It's like my color blonde. It's like water. dishwater. Yeah, yeah, it was darker, mm-hmm. a lot darker than Su- than Susie's. Yeah, they were both kind of um, that bleachy. Yeah, the mom. Like and it was Susie. fashionable back then to do the full bleach. I remember putting that right. put sun that in. Sun in. Yes. yes. Oh my god. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was all about sun go. in. And <laughs> <laughs> so she had blue eyes. Um, she had hair down to the middle of her back. She had freckles on her face and a dimple in the middle of her chin. She was described by Susie's aunt, Deborah, as just a sweetheart. They said she was just the sweetest girl. She was beautiful, talented, just a lovely person. Yeah. And what what I'm going to do, what I usually do for these episodes, um, is I usually put a picture as our cover for the episode so there'll be um i will send that to you guys as well and it'll have their picture on the cover that's perfect i did want to throw this in since i just described them since they are still technically missing i want to just say if you have any information please contact lieutenant brian welch of the springfield um missouri police department at 417-864- one seven five one, and you can also report um, anything, even anonymously, to the FBI. I will have yes. a link in our um, show notes. And there is a forty thousand, forty three thousand dollar reward right now. Whoa! For information, holy wow. cow! On where they are? Wow! All wow. right. So that's awesome. Yes. So can I share oh, a yeah. story? 
I, I read it, I don't remember where I read it, in a source about this case. And it's about Stacy. And I just found it so cute when I read it. And I just think it reveals her personality. Oh, oh yeah. They said that um, her mom had told a reporter this story that Stacy was trying to strengthen her vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And so I guess her vocabulary word for the day was chagrin. Okay. And so she went to walk, like walk around the halls of her high school and she kept all day long. She was using this vocabulary word, but she was saying much to my chagrin. chagrin. <laughs> and so, you know, she's like saying much to my chagrin as she's walking around the halls <laughs> and that when she got home, her mom corrected her and that that's when Stacy realized she was like, oh, that's why everyone was looking at me funny all day long. And, you know, she sounds like me. I know. <laughs> I just thought that was so cute. It is cute. That is cute. That helps tell, you know, give you an inside into yeah. to their personalities, which I think yeah. is And I love that. I because especially when you have cases this old, when you can find that a little nugget like that, because those are hard mm-hmm. to find with, with old cases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah. I think, too. I mean, love getting to know the victims. Well, yeah. And I think, yes. too, that people, they hear about the cases, they read about the cases, they see pictures, but you don't really connect. Right. Because, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's, these were people. Right. Uh, these right. were very alive people mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know they had personalities and different things the goals you know especially the two young girls they had goals that they wanted to do for their life mm-hmm. I know that Susie wanted to be a cosmetologist like her mother mm-hmm. Cheryl was a cosmetologist and had um did hair cut mm-hmm. hair and she had a very from what I read a very lucrative business had oh. a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of customers that Good. loved her and so that's, you know, that tells you about them. Yeah. Yeah. They mm-hmm. had favorites, favorite songs, favorite foods. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Where Cheryl Levitt lived with her daughter, Suzanne, or Susie, as she was called, Streeter, they lived at 1717 East Del Mar Street in Springfield, Missouri. Mm-hmm. We have been there. Mm-hmm. I, we made I, a special trip up to yeah. go see oh, this wow. home. Yeah. yeah. And I've been there twice, actually. Mm-hmm. And... I will tell you, it's off a very, very busy street. It is. Yeah. Oh. And, like, I mean, right off of, like, if you were to imagine a small town main street, that's, it's right off of that. Yes. And, okay. of course, now it's an older area now. Mm -hmm. Then, I don't, it wouldn't have been so old. The street itself mm -hmm. is quiet once you go down it a little bit, but they were on the corner. They are on the corner. Yeah. So they're very close. Right near the busy street. Yes. Yes. It's like intersection. And I did talk to some people that lived near there, some friends I have that um, I know that were around that, because I was in Overland Park, but they were around that area. Right. And they said it was even busy back then. Yeah. That hasn't changed. Yeah, so, And I think that, like, really almost can change how you view a case. Because that, we went to yes. a case location for the, the very first case we did. And the whole time that we're talking about it, I'm like, oh, this is, like, in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. She's on a farm right. in the sticks. Yeah. And then she was in a subdivision. And I'm like, how yeah. did this happen right. yeah. in a right. subdivision? I know. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. yeah, that's why we try to make it a point, especially with these unsolved ones, to get there and see what we can see from where this happened, where it took place. Mm-hmm. We've done that on several occasions. And it really does, it really can change your whole perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so this house is kind of, 
right on the corner almost Mm -hmm. of this busy street. And then if you go a little ways down, you get into these big, huge mansions. Yeah. It's very strange because this house itself was very small. It was. It was a yeah, small, small house. But it was cute back then. Yeah, it still is a cute it's little cute, house. It's cute, but it's older. But yeah. it, you know, back, mm-hmm. but when you see the pictures of when Cheryl got it, it mm-hmm. was, she had it fixed up really cute. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I will say there is an alleyway, mm-hmm. or would you call it an alley? I, I, yeah, I would call it an alley. Right next to the house. Yeah. Um, so it's like between the house and the that main street, there's mm-hmm. like a weird alley that goes there. And then there's like mm. a, a somewhat vacant lot right there on the corner. There used to be a house hmm. back there, back then. Yeah, I it's don't, not there anymore. I don't know if anyone lived mm-hmm. in it back then, I don't but know. there mm-hmm. used to be. Yeah. Now I do know there is a house next to them. One, there's one house next to that house, and isn't there one or was there two? No, there's one. Yeah, one. there's one on. And it kind of sits on the. Corner. If you're facing the house, there's one on the the on the left, left of it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. And so that would be the home that would be closest to hear anything, to right. see anything. Okay. Um, the rest of the houses, I think, are too far away. They're pretty far. The one that's right next to it is kind of right next to it. Yeah. I would say within 20 mm. feet of it. Now, oh, the, so very close. Yes. yes. Yeah, and I. do you remember what was across the street at the time? Because now there's like a big office building there. I think it was just a parking lot. Like That's what I had found in in everything that i'd seen that it said it was just a parking lot yeah there was nothing there no building Mm -hmm. um next to the house on if you're looking at the house house next to it on the right which is on the corner of the Mm -hmm. busy street is a um, business right so there's no other house near them right so i just want to set the stage for that because it really does make a difference once you get and i'm telling you this house is like from that main street it's maybe 50 60 feet maybe and then there are businesses all up and down through there Mm -hmm. yeah and this would be something that would be really easy for someone to get in and get out yeah because you got that main street and it that main street literally goes off to a a highway and i'm going to tell you that if you go the opposite direction and you go near where the mansions are Mm -hmm. the road gets very narrow yeah did you notice that it's like one way in mm-hmm. and out, you would like definitely not go that way to no. get away. No, I like mm. that's how. That's why we think that. So this is someone who knew the area. They had to right. because yeah. we didn't know, and we went the other way through right. the houses. And remember that street got to like one lane. Yes, and I was like, "There's no way we could have gotten away real mm. quick this way." No, I mean one <laughs> lane. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've kind of which we just think that that's kind of important to know. Yes, um, to let people hear our perspective from seeing the home um updated today now there is i will say there is someone who lives there yes uh and we are very awkward about you about so you know don't they weren't rude but they (laughs) maybe don't you know go there and just like walk up yeah 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 Yeah. they did let us know that they were there yes they did (laughs) yeah but not rude but just you know let us know yeah yeah so with that being set the stage being set so you can kind of get an idea you know of the location this happened so let me let me back up cheryl who is the mother she was home that night um 
I don't know. She was home all night. I'm sure she went to the graduation. Then she came back from everything I've read. Mm -hmm. And I've read some reports that said she was even out in the garage. The atta- There was an unattached garage. Yes, there is an unattached it's garage. It's still there. Yeah. It's still there. Um, it has a carport over it mm-hmm. um, where now... I will say this, where Susie parked her car normally. Right. Normally, the mom did Mm -hmm. not park her car back there. Mm -hmm. But that particular night, the mother's car was under the carport. Right. Mm. And so I just wanted to to say that because everything I've read said the mom's car was never parked under the carport. Right. So that tells me right there that she didn't think that Susie was coming home. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, Susie and Stacy graduated that night from high school, from Kickapoo High School. Mm -hmm. They went to several graduation parties, and they were supposed to spend the night at their friend's house. And when they got over there, their friend had a lot of family members in town for graduation. uh, Her friend's Mm -hmm. name was Janelle Kirby, by the way. Yeah. And And so Janelle's parents said, you know, there's just... We're not going to do this tonight. <laughs> there's yeah, there's a much. lot of people there. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. so there's like, okay, we'll just, we'll go back, you know, we'll go somewhere else. So they decided to go to Susie's house and spend the night. Now I will say what I find so interesting about this is that that was not their plan. Right. So mm-hmm. if you think about that, let's just say if someone was watching that house mm-hmm. that we just described, they would not have thought that they would have come there no. because they were not supposed to. Right. So just mm-hmm. remember that when we talk about that, they were not supposed to be there that night. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they decide to go back to Susie's house to get some sleep. They were supposed to get up the next morning and go into Branson to the water park mm-hmm. with their friend Janelle and her boyfriend. So they were going to go back to Susie's house, get some sleep, get up, go do that. Well, plus Susie had just gotten a new king size waterbed, oh, and I yes. mean, yeah. who yeah. doesn't want to sleep in a waterbed? I know, <laughs> I know. And they had just moved into this house. Yeah, they hadn't mm-hmm. been there very long. And from everything I've read, Cheryl was really excited about this house. She was really excited about fixing it up. And so, somewhere when they got home between two fifteen a.m. and seven thirty a.m. is when all this took place. Mm-hmm. Is when the disappearance took place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you um, happen to note when the last time Cheryl was heard from? Yes, she was heard from at thank you from at eleven fifteen p.m. that night on the sixth. So they were out at the parties. She got on the phone with her friend and was talking about painting some furniture. Other, yeah, and that mm-hmm. eleven fifteen painting an armoire, painting an armoire. Yes, yeah. and then she. I don't know if she went to bed. Now, I will say her bed was pulled back like she had went to bed. Okay. Okay, but. But it's weird. (laughs) I did. Okay, so there are pictures that you can look up online and look at this stuff. And the way that the bed was unmade is kind of Sideways. Like, yeah, like, Mm. I don't even know how to describe it. Like, the covers were pulled down halfway, and it kind of looked like a triangle, but it was, like, a perfect Mm. triangle. It was not nothing. It was no way I would ever pull (laughs) covers back. So, like, you see all these Mm. reports where it says the bed was unmade, so she obviously had slept in it. Well, okay, number one, I never make my bed. No. (laughs) No, same. And number two, if you saw the picture of how it was, quote, unquote, unmade, like, you'd be like, okay, that's a really weird way to get in and out of bed yeah thank you for adding that because that's why i said you know she's 
might have went to bed. Like yeah, she maybe went to bed. I don't know. Yeah, we don't really know because from the pictures, it's just it's real strange. It's really strange. I mean, you would have to like put mm. yourself in the bed, fold it back perfectly. Yeah, and put it I over mean, you. She may have been OCD or something like she that. But been. but I'm just <laughs> saying it's weird. <laughs> but what makes me think she wasn't? Is that right? There were okay, so there were some steps that led to Susie's room, right? And on those steps is where they leave their purses. Mm-hmm. So all of their purses were there, scattered about. Yeah. And if you were OCD, you would not do that. Mm-hmm. I'm just that's saying. true. I did see a picture of the purses. They were kind of just thrown in that yeah. area, and and I don't know if the investigators took the wallets now, out. That's true. That could have happened and got uh, thrown back. Yeah, I don't know mm-hmm. if they moved them or That's something. True. But when I saw the picture, it was they were just kind of strung about, and then their wallets were taken out and thrown down there with them. That is true. So I yeah. don't know if that's how they mm. found them or if they went through them for ID or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, that is true. You you don't really know what because well, and there was like a million people in that house, which I'm sure we'll get yes. to. Yes, yes. Uh, but we don't know if they right. went through their purses. I know. So. So when the girls came home at around 2.15 a.m., this is where the disappearance of the three ladies happened. I want to stop and give you a little bit of backstory. I wanted to get kind of out there so people would kind of know about it. And then mm-hmm. I want to give you a little bit of the backstory on Cheryl. Okay. Because that tells you a little bit about who could be involved, what could be going on. Okay. So let me get to my, sorry, let me get to my spot. So Cheryl Levitt was originally from Bellevue, Washington. So she was not from oh, Springfield. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> she got married to her first husband, Brent. And a year later, she got married in 1964. And a year later, she had Bart Streeter. Right. Who in 1965, she had him. Mm-hmm. And then in 1973, she had Susie Streeter. So mm-hmm. they're kind of. A little ways off, yeah. In age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would give you an idea, too, because there is an older brother, Mm -hmm. but he's a lot older. Right. So her and her first husband, Brent, they lived in Washington, mind you, divorced a couple years later, and she married her second husband in 1980. Okay. Don Levitt. Don Levitt. So in, in 1980... Her sister, Deborah, Cheryl's sister, Deborah, mm-hmm. moved from Washington to Springfield, Missouri. Oh, okay. Her husband got uh, transferred there for his work. Okay. Well, I guess, and from everything I've read, they were really close, mm-hmm. Cheryl and her sister, right. Deborah. So, De- Cheryl wanted to be by her sister. Mm-hmm. So, she and Dawn and the Bart and Susie moved to Springfield. Okay. Oh, to be near her sister. Okay. I don't know the dynamics there. I don't. Now, I know Susie's parents were alive at the time, mm-hmm. and they lived in Washington. I do not know why she, you know, decided to go to Springfield, mm-hmm. but she did. Right. So, okay. the interesting thing is, about, oh, in 1983, so about three years later, Deborah and her husband moved back to Washington. Oh, okay. Because he, he lost his oh. job. In 93, so like a year after the disappearance? No, 1983. Oh, 1983. So, they okay. were only in Springfield three years. Oh, Her sister. Okay. But by this point, Cheryl was pretty established as okay. right with her hair stuff with her and, hair okay. and mm-hmm. cutting hair, sense. and so she had a good business, and so she decided they decided to stay there, okay, and not go back to Washington, right? Which is kind of sad because she had followed her sister, yeah. and then her sister goes back, but that happens. So the chances you got to take, I know. So okay. six years later, 
Dawn and Cheryl divorced, which is 1989. Okay. And so we're getting close to the disappearance now. Mm -hmm. uh, Closer, 1989. Now, this was in Springfield. So they were still in Springfield. Okay. Cheryl. Um, She decided at that time to get a house of her own. And that's where 1717 Delmar Street came in. Oh, okay. um, Because Mm. she got divorced. Now, think about Bart. He was grown by this point. Mm-hmm. He was, right. you know, he and would have been grown. Out, yeah. And from everything I've read, and I know you've read too, mm-hmm. um, Raven, that he was very estranged from his yes. mother. Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, they had a very complicated relationship. I know at one time Susie went and lived with him and then they got into an argument. Yeah. I had mm-hmm. heard that, and this was actually even mentioned in a statement from the Streeter family later that I'll mention later, later. Um, but I, he did have a problem with alcohol abuse. And that, I th- right. think, is what put the strain on his relationship with his mother so much because, obviously, she wanted him to get help and get yes. better. And mm-hmm. he didn't want to, so. Yeah, and I right. think for there, a while. I anyway. think there was a little bit of volatility there. Yeah. Um, on mm-hmm. his part. Right. Um, from what I've read. I know that he and Susie had gotten along and then uh, they didn't get along. It was kind of back and forth. Yeah, because d- did you just say Susie she lived, lived with, him. with him? Yeah, for it wasn't very mm-hmm. long. No. But she did live with him for a while because her and her mother were getting into it as well. Yes. But then she moved back in with her mom. Yeah. She moved back in with her mom, and th- that's right around the time this happened. And I'm guessing yeah. that their dad was just, like, out of the picture. Well, their dad was in Washington. Back in Washington. So, yeah. I don't know. Mm. There's really not much about him, his involvement. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't really know. Um, but he was not in the area. Okay. Now, her second husband, Don, I don't know if he was in the area at the moment, but, yeah. you know, he moved to Springfield with them. Right. So, okay. So let's go to, so let's move back to um, June 6th. Okay. The girls went to the graduation. They went to parties. They decided to go to Susie's house to sleep and then get up and go to the water park right. in Branson. Mm-hmm. Um, the next morning, the their friends, they could not get a hold of them. They didn't hear from them when it was time to leave. They weren't answering. So they decided to go over to the house. And right. check. Mm-hmm. Right. And when they went over there, now this is where we go back to the cars because Cheryl's car was underneath the carport. Yeah. And if you mm-hmm. look at the pictures, like there are like evidential pictures or whatever yes. of how the cars were there and parked, all of their cars are very similar. They're all like yes. little red cars. Well, her mom's wasn't, Cheryl's wasn't, I think it's blue. Yeah, I don't know. But the two girls had cars that were like they almost, were both red. Yeah. They, yes. Yeah, I, they're red. I think mm-hmm. Susie had a Mustang. So there was a circle drive in front of the house. Mm-hmm. So the driveway under the carport, right in front of the detached garage, was Cheryl's car, and then in the circle drive was Susie's car, which mm-hmm. is red, and mm-hmm. Stacy pulled in right behind her. If everything you read, and one thing that I did want to mention is I, I know it's a little small detail, but it's always bugged me, mm-hmm. is that. Susie's car was a little bit in the grass. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the reason this is important to me. <laughs> Go would, on. <laughs> <laughs> would make me think that they were not looking around them. They were just driving up. They probably, you know, had been. I mean, it was two parties. in the morning. Yeah. And so. It was, yeah. There. <sighs> It makes you think one of two things. It was in haste yeah. or it was not watching at all. They just pulled up real quick and jumped yeah. out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know which one 
It is. Man, I'm not going to lie to you. When I was 18, I did not pay attention very much. So I could have been parked anywhere. (laughs) My dad. Especially if she normally parked under the carport and she didn't really park there. She could have just, you know. See, there you go. That's misjudged the curve of the driveway. (laughs) I think with me, my dad would have killed me if I would have parked in the grass. (laughs) So it would have been one of those Mandy's rushing to get. But mm-hmm. but the thing about the cars, too, is that if you think about this, um, the cars were, because of the circle drive, it goes right in front of the house. It does. And so you would right. have to navigate to get three girls out of this house. You would mm-hmm. have to navigate through those cars parked you right would. there. But they were pretty close to each other. They parked pretty yeah. close. I mean, we're not talking about one of them's in the street and one of them's, they're both no. right, right behind right. each other. I've always wondered, how could someone pull up mm-hmm. with that busy street and no one see it? I'm sure people right. did see it. They just didn't pay attention because yeah. they didn't know yeah. what was going on. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. just just something to think about. Okay. Interesting. So I had to throw that little nugget in there about the, <laughs> the car. Sorry. Um. So it looks, so from all accounts, they went into the house because their purses were in the house on the stairs. We were talking about, you know, kind of being strung on the stairs mm-hmm. that the little st- couple stairs and not like a full staircase just a couple steps mm-hmm. that led into Susie's room um there was a dog a little dog and the dog was there that night can we talk about this mm-hmm. for just a yes. second okay this is my tangent yes okay because uh I spent 15 years as a dog groomer and trainer and everywhere mm-hmm. that I've seen reports it's like oh this dog was so agitated when he when they got in there right I read that yeah too. yeah I read that too okay but this is a Yorkie number one and Yorkies oh. are just <laughs> like that mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. sorry Yorkie owners but they are like yippy and they are standoffish especially if they don't know you I mean even if they do know you sometimes you, you they just get a mood you know what I mean yeah, right, like right. so this is not uncommon for how a Yorkie would act mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there like so I don't think it was agitated been, yeah little cinnamons just her disposition well because yeah. I mean Yorkies are yippy and so mm-hmm. anytime that you most Yorkies anytime someone comes into the home they're gonna they do this little paw dance thing where they like move their little feet back and forth real quick and they mm-hmm. do these little turns mm-hmm. and they kind of yip a little bit and they growl and they do these little like they're just so animated they're such animated dogs and they might mm-hmm. growl and yip and bark and that is not like aggression or agitation it's just how they are right and i think they're temperamental too my neighbor has a yorkie and they went overnight and so we went like every couple hours to let her out and like she knows us will run up to me and my husband and Mm -hmm. lick us but she was so mad at them for leaving her overnight when we were trying to let her out i was like Come on, Elsa. Let's go outside. And she was like, "No, screw you." They got and I like she had never met me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you, Yorkies That's have funny. attitudes. They're one of the hardest dogs that to groom. Not because they're like aggressive or mean, but because they move so much all the time. <laughs> like they just constant. Yeah. Like you would have to, you know, those little groomer nooses mm-hmm. that you okay. You would have mm-hmm. to not put that on or put something around their entire body because they would spin so much oh. that it would it would like. Oh no! Yeah, it was like spin around. <laughs> Around their neck and like it it was We're just saying. yeah that i'm just yeah. saying that's just a yorkie y'all <laughs> right <laughs> so there are many reports that the dog was outside the dog was inside i know isn't that weird I, mm-hmm. there i haven't seen 
anything I definitive. Saw, I saw a report where someone had said that they had saw the dog outside during the night at one yes. point and then it somehow miraculously mm. got back in the house by the time that Janelle got there that next morning I know I don't mm. did it ha- was there a doggy door I don't know no, I don't think so oh. I don't think so either but we don't know yeah, for don't sure know. there could have been Just and that could strange. explain that but I don't know it's also possible that the girls let the dog out when they got home to go to the bathroom and just like for Got about it and then got tired and got in the bed. I don't know, oh, man. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't Weird. know. It, the the Weird. dog thing is is just there's no concrete answer for yeah cinnamon. Sorry, there's no thought. <laughs> so on this in their purses, mm-hmm. um, I want to say this by the stair on the little couple steps that mm-hmm. I keep saying stairs, but it's really just like it's like two steps, two steps, yeah. like a step down mm-hmm. into yeah. the next room. Yeah. So there were wallets. There were keys. Mm-hmm. There were cigarettes. Right. There were. Um. I think. I think I read that Stacy had medicine. Well, I read that too. Yeah. 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 Um. There were clothes. Mm-hmm. Um. Not by the purses, but there were clothes that had been laid out in the in Susie's room. Right. That they yeah. had changed for bed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and. Before you go on, I do want to state that there were no signs of struggle in this home. No, no signs at all. Like, everything was still kind of where it was supposed to be. There was, like, nothing broken or, like, you know. Do you want my disclaimer? Except for the light outside. Except for the light. That was my disclaimer. Are you ready for that? (laughs) So, the light outside had been broken. The porch light. Now... I'm going to, here we go with me. So (laughs) the, the bulb had the, um, the bulb was there. The bulb was fine. The globe. The the, globe. Right. Now, Mm -hmm. when we looked at the house, it's very close to the front door. Yes. Yeah. Extremely close. So, but it's kind of high. Didn't you think it was higher? I thought it was kind of high. It had kind of a higher uh, ceiling. It so did. you would mm-hmm. have to. I feel like you would need a ladder to get up there. Yeah. Or be tall. Oh. Or be like six foot four. Yeah. <laughs> but with that said. Because it looked like it was like an eight or nine foot ceiling. I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I it mean, was pretty it, tall. The, the front porch. Yeah. The yeah. front porch. Yes. Yeah. Well, the, the owner who walked outside was pretty tall. Yes. A little lanky. And walked outside. Uh-huh. And w- it was. It was still pretty tall. It was still pretty tall. Yeah. That's why I was, you mm-hmm. know. Because of the owner. So, hi, owner. Hi, owner. We're so sorry. <laughs> sorry about it. Thank you for letting us stalk in your space. Um, so, I have read and seen and done with my studies for my students that there is a thing that people will knock out the lights or the globes around it, the, where there's glass on the right. ground, to, to specify a holding place. As like a signal. As a signal to where they know where to go back. Okay. So they do that oh, on purpose. To like mark the house? To mark the house. Okay. And mm. now I don't know if that's what happened here. But when Strange. I first heard it, that is exactly where my mind went. Was yeah. this a hold? Was this somewhere so the perpetrator had been by there and knew to go back? Right. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. That's I don't know point. when that happened. I don't know if it happened sometime earlier or I don't well, know. Because we know that that happens even now. That happens yes. with, like, cars and parking yes. lots. Yeah. There's a bunch of things that mm. people, like, trafficking and stuff do yes. 
to mark mm-hmm. your car mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. tell other people, hey, this one, take this one. And that's right. what they right. used to do with how, uh, homes. I don't know that they so much do that anymore with homes. Well, it's much easier to do it in parking lots with yes. cars. Yeah. yeah. But that they did then. You have to remember. I, I wanna, 1992. 1992. Yeah. Right. There were no... There weren't cameras around every no. single corner of your home. Mm-hmm. Or cell phones. Or, or cell phones. The now, interwebs. Mm-hmm. I will say, in 1992, I had a friend named Nick. Hi, Nick. Um, he had a cell phone. and Well, this has probably been 93. He had a cell phone. Like one of those big, It was huge... a big bag phone. Oh, my God. And he would, he would take it out and put it in his back pocket. <laughs> and it would, like, be huge and bulge. Oh, my God. And it was huge. And he thought he was really cool. And I thought he was really cool. (laughs) So that's what we're talking. Yeah. When we, yeah. We didn't call any, he didn't call anyone on it because it cost like $100 a second. Oh, my God. But, you know, not really. But it costs a lot of money. Yeah. And so, but, so those were the kind of cell phones there were. There was no social media. There was no, there were word processors. Right. I mean, there were computers, but most people didn't have so mm-hmm. if there were those. some sort of network happening here, they would have to be very close knit yes. network. So I don't think yeah. that wouldn't be the case where it's somebody that would, you know, there's no cyber stalking, anything right. like this going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you would have to actually like organically see someone out and about yes. and yes. like follow them home. Yes. And so that gets kind of with the the next part. So not knowing if someone followed the girls home, if someone had, if Cheryl had been outside, I'd read where she had been outside working on a, you know, some armoire or something and that someone could have driven by there. Right. We don't really know. But what we do know is that when the friends couldn't get a hold of them and they went to the house the next morning, I think they called several times. They went to the house several Mm -hmm. times. So Mm -hmm. during all of this, Stacy, the friends, parents were getting concerned. Right. Mm-hmm. And couldn't get a hold of their daughter. Could, didn't know where she was. Which her mother's name is Janice, by the Janice, way. yes. Yeah. Well, they went to the home. They did. Oh, yes. First. Thank you. Yeah, they did go to the home first. Yeah, and they, um, they're they the one, uh, Janice is actually the one who found Stacy's clothes. Yes. That was, like, mm-hmm. neatly stacked. Yes. From what she had worn the night before, it was like in this nice, neat little pile. And she was like, she knew that that was the only clothing that she had with her. And that if she were out somewhere, she would just be in her t-shirt and underwear. The first phone call was when Janelle Kirby was there. She answered a, quote, strange and disturbing call. From an unidentified male who made quote sexual innuendos. Don't I've never seen anywhere mm-hmm. what was actually said during that, but she apparently hung up on this either. person. Um, yeah, that she received another call right after that that was like sexual in nature. Again, hung up again, didn't answer anything else. So then later, when McCall's um, mother Janice got there, uh, she also. She checked the. You remember those old school messaging machines? Oh yes, yeah. and hit the hit the play button. So she saw that like there was a message waiting, and she played it. It was apparently a male making sexual innuendos, and she somehow accidentally deleted it. Now mm-hmm. we need to say how they got into the house. They just walked yes. in. Yeah. So I wanted yeah. to make sure we said that. Yeah. The door was like, unlocked. How did they get in the house? Yeah. No, it was the, unlocked. How, the door was unlocked. 
Yeah. So mm-hmm. we did want to make sure. So you, there's several people going in and out of this house, mm-hmm. checking mm-hmm. the phone. Now, I do want to say, didn't, I, I want to say, I read somewhere that Cheryl had complained that there had been obscene phone calls going on before that. I did see mm-hmm. that. Um, I but can't confirm it, but without her to corroborate yeah, her saying no that way initially, it, you just wouldn't know. But there is some reports that that was not the first Well, I time. also had heard that just reports in the area yeah, that people I were did, getting I read strange phone calls. So I don't, and that could be completely unrelated. Yeah. Back in that day, there was, there was no call, uh, caller ID either. No, no. And so you just answered the phone is who yeah. you got. Mm-hmm. And your number was in the phone book. Yep. Now, I don't know if her... Your name, number, and your address was in the phone book. So it right. makes me wonder. Oh, yeah. Everything well, was but there. But I don't know yeah. if her address would have been in the phone number book yet because she'd just moved there. I don't know. That's oh. a good question. It's like a point. Someone find us a phone book from Springfield <laughs> in 1992. <laughs> I'm sure we could go to the Springfield. Um, Might be in a historical society. Yeah, and go to the community. And, well, from there is where Janice called the police. Yes. I actually think she called the police on that home phone, on the mm-hmm. girl's home phone. Yes. And then, you know, the police came. So, Deborah, who is Cheryl's sister, they caught word of this, of this going on. Um, I want to say someone called them. Someone called Deborah and told her that. Oh, the sister? Yes. Cheryl's sister? That they couldn't, they couldn't find them. So, Cheryl's father. He was still alive, and he got really worried and flew out to Springfield, Missouri. And this isn't yeah. something that is known a lot, that Cheryl's Cheryl's dad came out there. Mm-hmm. He, now, he ended up right. passing away in 1997, and her mom passed away 13 years later, mm-hmm. so they're not alive. Right. Um, they would be pretty mm-hmm. old if they were alive mm-hmm. now. Yeah. But her, you know... Her sister said that there were posters and billboards were put up everywhere. I mean, they did, they really looked for the, I mean, there was a lot of publicity. In fact, I remember, and I've told you, I've told Raven this since the beginning, I followed this case back when it happened. Yeah. Because we heard about it in Kansas City. Like, it was all over the news. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so, I remember watching it take place. Yeah. um, Yeah. And watching the, you know, them searching for the girls take mm-hmm. place and I don't remember much else than that but I remember following it mm-hmm. since that point mm-hmm. well in the way of evidence so there wasn't very much collected because when so Janelle was there Janelle's boyfriend was there um Janice was there Janice's husband was there and then a lot of other people were called and a lot of other people showed up before even the police got there and so a lot of people were walking through right. the house yes. messing with stuff and so there it contaminated. Yes, it really mm-hmm. was contaminated by a lot of people. Now, I'm not like trying to like blame them or whatever because they were just trying to find their loved ones. But because of that, it's just kind of like the Jean Benet case. It's like mm-hmm. let's just let a million people walk yeah, through here. I know. You right. know. So not a lot was collected. I do want to say one thing about the cigarettes that was left behind. So it was said that Cheryl was a chain smoker. Yes. Um, apparently, mm-hmm. and Susie smoked. Yes. Too. Apparently, Susie also smoked and was as frequent. Now, Stacy, I don't know. I don't know about Stacy, but from someone who smoked pretty heavily for 17 years before finally quitting, and it was the hardest thing ever, um, they would not have left those cigarettes No. Behind. They just wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Like, period. Yeah. Like, I'm telling you, if you 
if they were like me with the with the chain smoking when I was smoking, mm-hmm. it was like whatever you're doing, you have a cigarette hanging off your lip. Like you just that's oh, just right. how you do it. Well, and people said there's been a lot of speculation that they just got up and ran off in the night. And I'm like, in their underwear? Man, I'm like, telling you, even if right. I was in my underwear, I'm putting a cigarette in my mouth. If yeah, they're coming I mean, with me. It just doesn't make sense. She just got this new home. Yeah. She was excited about fixing it up. The girls just graduated. They were going to Branson the next morning. You're just going to get up and run off into the night? To me, yeah, that no, there, it doesn't weird. make sense well, one single bit. Mm-mm. And I think a lot of... The, the thought at the time was that they had just gone somewhere and they were going to be coming back. I know I read one article that was in the Springfield News Leader, and it talked about how um, even after Janelle's mom had called the officer to come and they had filed missing persons report that even the officer had just taped a little oh, yeah. note on the door that. Yeah. that said something on the back of it. Like when you get in, call this number and cancel the missing persons report. I saw yeah. that too. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. It's, and it's very strange because like you said, like they left everything behind the cigarettes, but mm-hmm. their purses, their money, their keys, right. their cars, and, their yeah. clothes. I will say the money was still in their wallet. There the, was no money taken. Yes, and the thing that I find is uh, that's the strangest here is that there is no signs of struggle. No. So mm-hmm. somehow you got three girls out of this mm-hmm. house without a struggle, right. except for the light. That's mm-hmm. it, except for the light. So mm-hmm. I'm unless it was one guy with a really big gun, I just don't see one person being able to do that. And then even thinking about motive. I yes. mean, there were, it wasn't just money in the wallets. There was a significant amount mm-hmm. of money yeah, in the wallets. Yeah. That yeah. were just, it was just left. Well, because Cheryl mostly dealt in cash yes. in her because business. Of, because of people sense. paid yeah. cash for their hair. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And so it it's also strange that you have three purses sitting right there and you're not going to take anything out of them. Well, that mm-hmm. just right there shows you it was not money. It was not motivated by no. any sort of robbery. No. 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 Yeah. Right. And the dog was not hurt. Now, no. did the dog go and hide when someone was in there? Well, I mean, what? Where where did the dog come in? Was the dog outside? Where did the dog come in? The dog probably hid, or it's very easy to like shut them into another room or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the dog would have been barking mm-hmm. loudly. Yes, but even a loud bark for a Yorkie is not very loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. think that the neighbors would have heard a Yorkie barking because I have a Shih Tzu, and nobody can hear him barking. The neighbor who is deceased, said that night they saw a green, I think it was green, like, olive green. Moss mm-hmm. green is what, like I've, olive, yeah. what I've seen. I said olive, mm-hmm. you said moss. <laughs> moss <laughs> Same olive. color, I guess. Um, it, and I will say, this was one of those, this isn't a brand new van. This is like a 1970 van, 60 mm-hmm. van, it yeah. looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, I call them creeper vans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the neighbor said they saw that van pulled up in at the neighbor's, at Susie's house, Susie and Cheryl's house, and they said at one point they heard a man tell them to, what did, I think they told him to. Yeah, to, um, don't do anything don't stupid. Do anything okay, stupid. there's the exact right. words. I was looking yep. for the exact yep. words. Right, yeah. And they said that they saw Susie driving the van. Right, which is mm-hmm. strange. Strange. I know. Mm-hmm. But I guess, I guess if you 
are just one person and you're trying to hold three people hostage with just one firearm, maybe you would have someone, one of them drive. But why wouldn't you just drive somewhere else? I don't know. I mean, you're, you're taking the chance that that person who's driving isn't going to drive straight to the police department well, or right, drive off a cliff right. or from reports. Now I cannot corroborate this in any way, shape or form, but that Susie had probably been drinking that night. Well, yeah, they had. Yeah, that's they what had, I read too. Yeah. So then, mm-hmm. why have her drive this? <laughs> I don't know. Right. They, that's a fantastic question. Yeah. They had been to those graduation parties, and yeah, it was said that that they were drinking. I n- had never heard that anyone had witnessed them being drunk or like too drunk no. to drive. Or but anything it would explain like that. why her car's kind of in the grass. Well, but. Yes, but that would also kind of tell me that whoever took them wasn't actually following them, didn't know where they had been that night. Well, and that's a good point, because then that's, you you just hit it right Mm -hmm. on the head, because that's one reason I wanted to mention that, because if it had somebody at those parties, they would have known. Right. And they had followed them from a party or something like that. And why wouldn't you grab them? Somewhere in between. In between. Why would you wait till they went to the safety of her home? Their home, Not knowing who's Mm -hmm. in there. Yeah. So that right there tells me they knew who was in the home. Like that they probably targeted Cheryl. Cheryl. Right. 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 And, you know, and there's been so many. And Cheryl did look young. And she was very small. So she could Mm -hmm. have been. Mm -hmm. She could have pulled off the, you know, 18, 19 year old look. And we don't know with that busy street who. And. There's been there was reports of that green van being in the area before uh, yes. that night. Yes, I had mm-hmm. seen that too. Mm-hmm. So they could have been casing. You never know. And that mm-hmm. that saw light, her outside working on some furniture or something. And that light mm-hmm. could have been mm-hmm. uh, marking, yeah. so yeah. they knew which right. house it was. Right. I mean, you just don't know. I mean, I we don't know what happened with Cheryl. After she got off the phone with her friend. Right. You know, when she talked to her friend at 11.15. I do want to bring up one thing. You might have it um, in your notes somewhere. Um, That there was a witness who said... I was about to say this. (laughs) Who said that they saw the girls at a diner. Yes. At around 2 a.m. that night. Yes. I think it was Georgia's Steakhouse, I think, was the name it. It is closed down. Mm -hmm. It is no longer... It is no longer open. Um... But the person who said this, I believe, was um, either a waitress or, or a bus busser, a busser or something at mm-hmm. this restaurant and did not, it was just like a second glance kind of thing was like these three girls said that they had saw them with three men and that they got up and walked outside of the restaurant with these three men, saw them talking to the three men outside and then that's all they witnessed. But there's nothing to corroborate There's that. nothing to corroborate right. that. It was right. just that one person that said that. So we don't know if this was actually the same people or not. We don't know. And I'm fairly certain that tip came in weeks after. Like way later. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, if this were a restaurant that the three of them normally frequented, it could just be a a mistaken memory. You know what I mean? Like, oh, exactly. I did see them, but the the dates could have been off. Exactly. Or or whatever. And supposedly they did go in there quite a bit. Yeah. And that, which is how this person knew who they well, were. And I'm going right. to say that that mm-hmm. was probably the only thing open. Yes. And, uh, yeah. And I yeah. do agree, though. I do think that it was a mistaken, not a mistaken identity, but a mistaken date. date. Yes. Memory. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and this person, and I know for a fact the busboy was their age. He was yeah. not, he was not older. So he's probably, 
you know, he could be way off on his dates just from. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Being Especially that if you work so many days in a row, yes. you start to, like, right. blur yeah. it all together. You There's know? not much open during that time. Yeah. Even, I mean, now in a big city, you go to Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. No, but not, but in Springfield, Missouri. No. Probably you're not. not. Mm-hmm. You're not even It'd gonna... be like the equivalent of the Denny's. Yes. You know? I think yeah. that's pretty much kind of what it was, mm-hmm. was the Denny's. And so, I've even said, I've even read something where that green van raced by a, a gentleman that was in the car and almost hit him. Oh. That night. Oh. Really? Mm-hmm. Did he see anyone in it? Like, other than, like, was Susie driving it or whatever? No, it was, he said it was a man driving it. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. But he almost hit him. Wow. That um, is something you would remember. Yeah. That's you interesting. Know. So, I, I don't know. They said it almost hit him, like, running, I think, going really fast, like, running a light or something. Strange. Mm. Like, earlier during the day, like, daylight? or No, at night. Nighttime. Wow. Okay. Mm. So, you know... There's just so much. You're so many things. And when when cases like this come out, you bring people just come out of the woodwork. And some right. of them have legitimate information. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of them are doing it for, you know, to have the, just to be part of something. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so you have to weed through that. And that's going to be hard from the police standpoint to yeah. weed through all of that. Especially when you really have nothing to go on mm-hmm. in the first no. place. Janelle showed up at the house at 9 a.m. Yes. So it really mm-hmm. could have been from anywhere from 2 They said two to, to 7.30 a.m. I don't know I'm where not they sure. get that. Maybe Janelle tried to start calling them before she, could she showed that, up, and so maybe that's why. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, like that's probably what it is, yeah. Cheryl's son, Bart, was estranged. We're, we're fixing to bring another aspect into the case in just a second. But yeah. Yeah. we're bringing an aspect of Susie um, and her dating life right. we're gonna bring that in mm-hmm. um from what i know stacy did not really have anything like that no. there wasn't really anyone to bring in the case Mm-mm. for stacy that i've read right the mm-hmm. fbi came in to the case mm-hmm. i just i do want to i do want to say that the fbi came in the missouri state even the missouri state highway patrol because okay. they were looking for the green van right uh, and then numerous law enforcement agencies right. um you know I'm sure um, uh, it's the equivalent to OSBI, Missouri mm-hmm. State. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also had, I'm sure, the sheriff's office. There were so many people looking for this green van because mm-hmm. that was really their biggest, well, biggest lead, biggest really, lead at the time. to go off mm-hmm. of. Yeah. So we're going to, so now that Stacy's parents have called, the mm-hmm. police have shown up. They've There's been tons of people going into the house. There's, you know, and this is where we are right now. Mm-hmm. So let's look at, some of the suspects and who could have been around the area that night. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. so first of all, this happened, they were found missing June 7th, 1992. All these people were, were called in, but it literally went cold yes. after that. Mm-hmm. And then we jumped to December 31st, 1992, which is when it was featured on America's mm-hmm. Most Wanted. Mm-hmm. So, they had set up, of course, they have their own hotline, like tip line, and a man called in to America's Most Wanted hotline with information about their disappearance, and the call was somehow disconnected when the switchboard operator attempted to link that person with the correct investigators, mm-hmm. and they could never get that person back. The That man had stated 
to this dispatcher that he had, quote, prime knowledge of the abductions and Mm -hmm. was disconnected and never figured out who he was, never reconnected with him. That's that. Like that, that was, Mm. could have been one of their biggest leads and right done. And again, the time, the timing of that, there was no, the tracing wasn't like it is now. It would take a long time to trace a call. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so they, that, that was pretty much it. Um, then there was another tip and this is where it gets a little weird. Okay. So there was another tip that came in, uh, and this was pretty, pretty far after the fact, uh, there was a tip that the woman, the women's bodies were buried in the foundations of the South parking garage at Cox hospital. Right. Oh, yes. right. Mm-hmm. And we went there. We did because we wanted to see the layout of where the, this portion of the parking garage would have been and like how far away it was from the home, which was pretty far away. Yeah, it was actually. pretty far. Mm. Um, I think we drove, what, seven or eight miles? Yeah, and you have to go through the, the neighborhood yeah. where it's one way to get there. Yes, and you have to, mm. to get to this specific parking garage, you have to drive past the main hospital. You'd have to know where you're going. You, yeah, oh. you would. Um, and plus, BT Dubs, <laughs> this um, parking garage <laughs> wasn't even built yet. It wasn't actually completed for a, uh, until a year after the girls had gone missing. So they're saying that they were buried there when construction wasn't even taking place yet. I know. And they did have someone go out with. They did. I'm going to tell you. Okay. Sorry. Okay. So in 2007, there was a crime reporter named Kathy Baird who invited a man named Rick Norland, who was a mechanical engineer, to scan a corner of this parking garage with ground penetrating radar. Uh, He found three anomalies, which were, quote, roughly the same size as a human body, that he said were consistent with, quote, gravesite locations. So two of these anomalies were parallel to each other, and the other was perpendicular. Uh, That's pretty much all that came out of that, because the Springfield Police Department had a spokesperson. Her name was Lisa Cox, and that she said that... The person who reported the tip provided no evidence or logical reasoning behind this theory at the time or since then. Um, she also said the parking garage began construction, obviously, September 1993, over a year after the disappearances. She said, quote, mm-hmm. digging up the area and subsequently reconstructing this structure would be extremely costly and without any reasonable belief that the bodies could be located here, it is illogical to do so. And for those reasons, SPD does not intend to. Investigators have determined this lead to not be credible, end quote. And here's the thing about that. Okay. Oh, man. So we wanted to know where this tip came from, and we actually got some insight from our friend Robin Warder at The Trail Went Cold. Yes. We had had just recorded uh, the Aileen Conway case with him, Mm -hmm. and we were talking about this case because this case is one that he covered as well on his show. So Mm -hmm. we were talking to him Mm -hmm. about that because we were like, we're about to cover this case. And he said, did you know where this tip came from? And I said, um, right. no, right. please enlighten yeah. me. Cause not we, exactly the most credible. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Be- <laughs> because we had not done any, any like research, research into it. We, we yeah. had only visited the site to this point. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh yeah. So that actually came from 
a psychic medium. Yeah. I'm not lying. Yeah. Who called in a tip. Now, I'm not saying nothing about psychic mediums. I'm just saying that that is uncorroborated. Like, it's not creditable enough to go dip, dig up this big old No, and I will ride. tell you, it is big. And there is a lot of cement. A yes. lot mm-hmm. of cement. Um, mm-hmm. When yes. I looked at it, I thought, there is no way they could tear that down and find anything. So I wanted to find just some sort of statement, because I, I love Robin and I trust him, but oh, I, I wanted to, to corroborate mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And so I actually mm-hmm. found a statement from a person named uh, Darrell Moore, who is the former assistant at the Greene County Prosecutor's Office, who said the tip came from someone who either, quote, claimed to be a psychic or claimed to have a dream or vision about the case, end quote. Mm. Mm. Yeah. There were no other reasons for anyone to assume this was a burial site for the girls. And so, in my opinion, not good enough to dig up the parking garage. No, and I know in some disappearance cases, you know, when they've exhausted all resources, they'll bring in psychic mediums. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I completely, I mean, when you're at that point, yes, do it. I mean, you're you're grasping at straws, right. so do it. But yeah, yeah. you can't base your whole thing around someone saying that right. they're in a in the cement in this right. huge parking garage. Now, if it were, for instance, they were next to this parking garage, and it's yeah, real easy mm-hmm. to dig there. You don't have to go through cement or anything. Then fine, great, yeah, let's do right. it. But man, right? But you even got someone to come yeah. out with ground penetrating radar and. All you found were, quote, anomalies, which could be anything. Could be rocks. Well, and it is right, right in right. front of the hospital. Right. Someone would see it. Like, yeah. it's a hospital mm-hmm. where people come in and out mm-hmm. at all times of the day. And the hospital was there. Mm-hmm. It, it was, I think, from what I remember, that side of it was the emergency entrance. So there are people there all oh, the time. so it would have time. been even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, You're going to have ambulances coming through there. You're going to have, like. That yeah. was mm-hmm. the emergency. So they're just, it's just not. from seeing it and how far away it was and how do you get there and it was not viable and that is literally the Mm -hmm. only lead uh, to where their bodies could possibly be at in this entire case Mm -hmm. i know you know i've had my i know i know i know okay so so we're gonna move on to some suspects (laughs) (laughs) um i have some suspects and then i'm going to let these beautiful ladies Tell us about the main suspect and a little bit about that guy's background. So let's Mm -hmm. start with a man named Gerald Carnahan, Mm. whom his family owns Springfield Aluminum, or did at the time, which was an aluminum foundry in the area. And he had a long history of preying on local women there. In 2010, he was finally convicted of a 1985 murder and rape of a woman named Jackie Johns. Johns' murder went unpunished for 25 years because of lack of evidence tying this to Carnahan. And the piece of evidence that was finally that finally got him was just this tiny, minuscule sample of DNA, um, which you know in 2010 was miles ahead of what it was in 1985. Mm-hmm. And so. There could be this wonder of basically anyone who was convicted or arrested in the area for something similar, rape, murder, kidnapping, was looked at. Yes. And so Mm -hmm. they kind of thought, well, he got away with this for 25 years. We need to probably look into him a little better. And Mm -hmm. so we do know at the very least that 
the rape and murder of Johns was not an isolated incident. He was convicted in 93, shortly following the disappearance of the Springfield Three, for an attempted kidnapping of a young woman. So he did look like a good suspect at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to this conviction, he pled guilty to burglary, stealing, and arson in a separate incident. He was in the area and very active at the time that the Springfield Three went missing. However, beyond this, there is literally no evidence linking him to the girls in any way, to knowing them, to anything like that. So, Mm -hmm. and, and also if you look at, now granted there was one kidnapping incident, but if you look at his history, you also see that he liked to steal and nothing was taken from the house. I know, and that to Mm -hmm. me, that's a big... Because I think he Mm -hmm. would have taken the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Right. So he was kind of dismissed eventually. Yeah. Um, Then there is Dustin Reckla. So Dustin Mm -hmm. Reckla was actually Susie's ex. This is where Susie's Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. comes in. Yeah. He ran around with a guy, uh, two guys, one named Michael Clay and the other Joseph Rydell. Um, Dustin was a known drug user with a criminal history. He, Clay, and Rydell were all convicted of grave robbing, more formally, well, Which back sounds then, crazy. I know. Yeah. Back then, it was actually called felony institutional vandalism, which is Okay. You take, you take jewelry <laughs> off of... Yes. Yeah, basically. Uh, and, and gold, gold teeth. teeth. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah, because... So... That incident actually occurred in February, um, February 21st of 1992. So, you know, three or four months before uh, the disappearances. And Rydell was even found to have sold gold fillings from an unearthed skull at a local pawn shop. Yes. And there's something that makes that really interesting because she was... You're going to probably fix to say that. Am I? <laughs> Fixing to test. They were going to testify. Um, <laughs> yes. So Rekla also had connections to this motorcycle club called the Galloping Goose Motorcycle Club. Which I never heard of that when I lived <laughs> in Kansas City. Never heard of that. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, apparently a group with a known history of violence. And then, um, mm-hmm. then of course, Cheryl Levitt. And Susie Streeter were both asked to testify against these three in court regarding the potential use mm-hmm. of Cheryl's car in in some sort of robbery. So the young men later claimed mm-hmm. that her car was not used. Um, Susie Streeter also gave a statement to police regarding what she knew about it, but they were actually about to, hadn't yet, but about to, um, go and testify. Yes. They this. disappeared before they testified. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that, so Reckla and Clay eventually co- cooperated with the police during this investigation. Um, the, the end of this whole big ordeal, they all eventually just received probation. So I really don't feel like probation is a big enough motivator to make no. three humans disappear off the face of the planet. Right. No. Right. And they probably, and yeah. having an attorney, well, they probably kind of knew what they were facing. Yeah. So it's not like they just were completely mm-hmm. shocked mm-hmm. that they got right. probation. Right. Yeah. So 
And if they're known for grave robbing, so they're stealing jewelry mm-hmm. and gold. Again, money, yes, stealing. They definitely would have taken money mm-hmm. from oh, yes. yes, Yeah. They would have taken money. Exactly. Or gone through jewelry boxes. Exactly. And I think it would have been sloppy. Yeah. Because so, yeah. they're younger. Oh, they're, yeah. yeah. You know, and Susie knew him. Mm-hmm. She would have tried to, I think, to fight him back. Mm. It would have been really sloppy. Yeah. And messy. And you would have seen signs of a struggle. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I think so, too. So, mm-hmm. um, after that, we have the infamous Larry Hall, who has yes. been claimed as a suspect in this case. Now, if you don't know who Larry Hall is, there is a show on Apple. It is called Blackbird. This show is about Larry Hall. Uh, Larry Hall is a self-proclaimed serial killer. Because he confessed to a crap ton of murders and then took it all back. (laughs) Which I will say, here's my psychology kicking in. As a serial killer, that is a normal oh yeah thing that they yeah. do. We've seen plenty of them. They like to they like to draw mm-hmm. you in and then spit you out. Yeah, they like to. That's how they keep control. So here, but here's the reason why uh, he was a suspect because he and his twin brother Gary, um, especially him, would drive around the country, the entire country. And go to these Civil War reenactments. And so they think that he could have been in the area at the time. And he had a big moss green van. Mm -hmm. And uh, he is actually tied to two murders where he had made a confession and then he recanted. But that confession contained things in it that no one else could have known but the murderer, including... Stacking the girl's clothes neatly and nicely next to a tree. So they looked at that and thought, Van, stacked clothes, let's look into him further. Uh, he was actually only convicted of two. And so, but he is spending, I believe, life in prison right now. Uh, that kind of went nowhere. But here we are. Because he's, he's, I'm going to tell you uh, what I did to all these people and then so that way you won't quite ever know what yeah. i've done well he he did break into women's houses he did. um yeah. he was known to at least one of the girls he had a habit of luring them to the van mm-hmm. which is something that i think is mm. i mean maybe he could have lured them to the van but he would lure them to the van and but then he would chloroform them yes with his own concoction and do stuff. Oh. Well, and, and then murder them. He knew how yeah. to make his own chloroform. And this hasn't been, I haven't said this mm. yet, but there was a screen mm-hmm. at the house, at Cheryl's house, that was off. The front door? Oh, off of window? Mm-hmm. There was a screen that was off the window. Interesting. So that could be another mm. way that you could get three women into a van is by chloroforming them. Yeah. And this dude yeah. was big. He was a very large man. He was very tall. I, you could drive that van down that alley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could park, you could park in the alley mm. um, on the side of the house. Um, his van was a Dodge van. Now, I have heard that 
the one that the neighbor saw was a Chevy, but I don't know. But, I mean, did the neighbor really know? I don't know. I mean, you know, if I was seeing something, I wouldn't go, oh, that is a Dodge. I mean, you know, I would know. Uh, I will say, just throw this out there, if you do want to know a little bit more about Larry Hall, that that show Blackbird is very, very good, and it's very accurate to um, what happened in real life, so you should go watch it. It's on Apple. Okay, so the next one is Tommy Lynn Sells. Oh, Literally my the only thing that we have on Tommy. <laughs> Listen to me. Oh, my goodness. Here we go. Um, we do have an episode about Tommy Lynn Sells out right now, so you can definitely go back and yes. listen to all of his nonsense if you want to. Um, he was a serial killer at the time. He has 13 confirmed kills. In 2003, just a little recap, he was accused in Greene County of the 1997 murder of a 13-year-old old girl named stephanie in springfield missouri so he liked to roam mountainous Mm. regions like the ozarks and anywhere there there were caves or mines um he was known to be in oklahoma arkansas missouri we know that he was in pitcher oklahoma yes um we know for a fact he was in pitcher we know for a fact he was in springfield and, and we ran across this, didn't we? Yes. I just, yeah. I think I was reading something and I was like, Tommy Lynn Sells, was he in that area? He was questioned about no. it. I do think that he, he confessed to it at one point, he but then he recanted. To everything, he, I think. Yes. And he's another. <laughs> yes. That he right. just confessed to everything and then he just wanted to get out of prison. They would just take him out and be like, oh, where's the body you said? And then they would just wander around for like five but we hours. We do know a little bit more about him oh, yeah. and his his background as far right. as his Oklahoma right. dealings. Yeah. We talked about him with um, Dardeen family murder. Well, that was in Illinois. It's it, He's po- a potential mm-hmm. suspect in right. that case. Um, but it was an entire family. I mean, husband, wife, young toddler, and the wife was pregnant. Yeah. She had been beaten wow. so severely mm-hmm. that she gave birth, yeah. and then the newborn was murdered. Yeah. We talked about that. He was eventually executed for um, for the mm-hmm. murder mm-hmm. of that girl. That he traveled girl. a lot. He did. He traveled all over the place. He did. Mm-hmm. All over. Mm-hmm. And so... But his home bases were like Pitcher, Oklahoma and Springfield, Missouri. Yeah. He had a couple home bases. And for like anything that ever happened in those places, everybody's like, well, immediately we I should I think he had family in Springfield, didn't he? He had family in Springfield. So uh, that never, nothing ever came of that either. Um, mm. Obviously, he was executed. We can't ask him no. now. Yeah. So, Right, right. Uh, then they actually did look at Bart Streeter. For a minute, for mm-hmm. a hot minute, he, because he was estranged from his mother, and they had a you know some spats the here and there. The brother of Susie. Yes, yes. Um, they looked into him, and apparently his alibi was that he had drank that night. He was an alcoholic at the time. He drank mm-hmm. that night, and he passed out at home. That was his alibi. I think it would have been a lot mm, sloppier with him too. Because, again, they knew him. They would have fought back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Susie would have fought her brother. That I think would so. not have been yeah. a, okay, right. let's go. You um, know, yes. I well, feel like if you're going to make up an alibi, you wouldn't make up one where you're by yourself. Drunk, yeah. You yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah. If you jump into Bart's future in 2000, he was investigated in, in relation to a kidnapping in Las Vegas. Um, he was also obviously had some issues with public intox and disorderly 
conduct. He also had an attempted false imprisonment charge. I don't know, though, if this is going to sound weird of me, but I don't know if this is it was a legitimate because it was it's like not not on his record or whatever, um, or if it was just because he was suspected in the kidnapping of his sister and and mm. murder of his sister. Well, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, oh well, he's probably so. Let's just go ahead and right. look at him for this right. and this. Right. There was a statement um, about Bart made by the Streeter family. It's quite long, so I'm just going to surmise it real quick. Um, they basically say that he did have some issues uh, in the public's perception because of his alcoholism. Um, they did go over this one interaction that was brought to light where people were saying that this was an underage person, that he was trying to abduct or something from a bar. They go and say that this was not an underage person. It was an adult. Obviously, it was in a bar, so they had to be at least 21 to get in there. Um, mm-hmm. That when he got up and left on his own accord, didn't mess with this person. And then they go on to say that... Um, they say, quote, it is unsure how the story got so corrupted when I was told to the media and police or why the media ignored the obvious video evidence in its reporting. The impact of this misreporting is felt by the Streeter family and extended family members as we continue to mourn for our family and hope for answers. We are still experiencing pain. Our family members are still missing, along with Stacy McCall. We still want and need answers. Please remember them and help in any way you can in finding them by reporting any information that may be helpful to the Springfield Police Department. Bart Streeter, as always, continues to be contactable to the Springfield Police Department, the Streeter family, end quote. So they obviously don't think that he had anything Mm -hmm. to do with it. I don't either. And that maybe he was targeted because of his issues with alcoholism. Mm -hmm. My Mm -hmm. psychology experience and expertise says no. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, My last suspect, and then we're going to get on to the big one, is a man named Steve Garrison. He is currently serving a 40-year prison sentence for rape, sodomization, and terrorization of a female college student in Springfield in 1993. Mm -hmm. And I think he was Mm -hmm. like the second, I think the the second looked at from the main suspect. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he back then, and this is why, because he back then provided police with information that may have been, may have been legitimate or may have been a sick attempt to gain attention or to get time off of his prison sentence or something by fo- feeding, you know, phony information. Um, he actually claimed that during a drunken party, a friend of his confessed to killing the Springfield three and told him where he'd buried the bodies and stashed some of the evidence. The name of this friend has literally never been released to the public. So no idea who he's talking about here. As a result of Garrison's revelations, police obtained three search warrants for two sites in Webster County, which is slightly East of Springfield. One of these sites had been previously searched by police in 1990 before the Springfield three ever went missing for unrelated things. Um, mm-hmm. That was actually in relation to another miss, uh, multiple missing persons case, but they thought that that was a drug deal gone wrong. 
So mm. Garrison also added that they would find this moss green van that the women had been abducted in, in 12 miles south of this site. However, the reason that police gave weight to his story was that he seemed to know details about the case that had not been released to the public. Apparently, police were so entranced by Garrison's story that they had a gag order issued surrounding their searches. So okay, that means that we don't know mm-hmm. what they found, if they found anything, mm-hmm. what they were looking for. We don't know. What we do know is that no one has ever recovered any bodies. No one ever found the van. Um, they almost certainly did not find that van because if they did, we would know that by oh, now. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they found anything at all related to the case is a matter of debate. Garrison did not receive any sort of perks that I know of. He didn't get any sort of reduced prison sentence or anything like that. So I doubt he had anything helpful to right. add to yeah. the case. No. And that's where his involvement ends. So then mm-hmm. in 1997, a man named Robert Craig Cox was looked at for this investigation and i'm going to let coffee and cases tell us about this man okay so i feel like in order to understand why cox was considered a prime suspect in the springfield three case it's very important to understand his connection with previous crimes Mm -hmm. and one of the first goes back to the murder of sharon zellers in florida Mm -hmm. 13 and a half years before the Springfield 3 case. Right. So back Here we in, go. <laughs> uh, it was, yes, we're going way back. Uh, 19-year-old Zellers worked at Disney World and was last seen on her way home from work around 10 p.m. on December 30th, 1978. But she never made it back to her Pine Hills home. Instead, her body was found six days later. She had been beaten to death. She was hit in the head at least 14 times from the reports I saw. And so brutally that uh, her skull had been dented. She had died of blunt force trauma. Oh, my goodness. And worse yet is that her body had then been stuffed into a manhole near a gas station on Sand Lake Road. That is horrible. Yes, and law enforcement, soon after they discovered her body, also found her car that had been left just abandoned in an orange grove, and they found blood inside of it. Um, Robert Craig Cox was also 19 at the time, so the same age as Zellers, and had been in Florida on vacation with his family, staying at a Days Inn hotel that was only 100 yards away from where Zeller's body had been found. On the night that Zeller's disappeared, Robert Craig Cox actually came back to the hotel, this Days Inn hotel where his family was, with blood on him and an inch of his tongue (gasps) bitten off. What? Yes. So he tells his parents, they're... Yeah, he's like, obviously, they see the blood. He said, oh, I bit my tongue. And they off. said, well, you've, you've got to go to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, yes, off. He Jesus. said to them that, I know, that he had bitten it off. 
like himself accidentally during a fight that had taken place outside of this local roller skating rink. Goodness. But according to local sheriff's deputies, no such fight ever happened. Right. And furthermore, after he finally does go to the hospital because he's bleeding so profusely, a surgical tech and a doctor at the hospital where Cox was taken, they actually said, you know what, your story doesn't make any sense because if you bit it off, then the bite marks would have been in a different direction right. than they were with the end taken off and so they basically were implying somebody else bit it off and so of course then they're thinking you know in trying to connect him with the zellers murder you know could it have been somebody like sharon zellers who had bitten it off if she were struggling you know for her life and what's crazy is at the same time, so remember he's 19, mm-hmm. he was an Army Ranger stationed at Fort Benning, Georgia, and he, in the military, really shined. He had an impeccable military record. He was named, like, Soldier of the Year shortly after the Zeller's crime occurred. Oh, wow. So, like, Very he's strong. really good at, yeah, being in the military. Mm-hmm. Cox was finally convicted of that crime about 10 years later in 1988 and sentenced to death because of the violence of the crime. Yeah. You know, she's beaten to death. And because mm-hmm. of further crimes committed in between Zeller's murder and the trial. And obviously, Zeller's parents are very relieved that this guy is going to be put behind bars for killing their daughter. Yeah. But that relief didn't last very long because his conviction, strangely, was overturned due to a lack of evidence in like 89 Mm -hmm. or 90 yeah when it went to the florida supreme court they argued that little evidence was there that could link cox to zeller's murder which included the tongue bite the fact that he was staying at the hotel that was so close to where the body was discovered there was an imprint of a military boot just like the one cox was wearing Uh that night that was found in Zeller's car, blood in Zeller's car matched Cox's blood type. There were three chest hairs there that were indistinguishable from Cox. Wow. And all of this was determined to be circumstantial. And so that conviction didn't hold up. And her parents were devastated. Oh, that's horrible. That's awful. Yeah, can you imagine thinking, yeah, my child's killer. Okay, they've been sentenced to death. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden they're like, mm you know what? We don't have enough evidence. And I think it's crazy. It's circumstantial evidence. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not a professional at that, but that doesn't seem very circumstantial to me. No. Your well, they said, they said it was the same blood type. Yeah. So it was a little bit more vague, I guess. But That's so sad, though. You know, Maggie mentioned, I know, other crimes in the interim between Zeller's murder and the trial. Mm -hmm. Another crime that he had committed um, and he was actually convicted of was kidnapping two women at Knife Point in California where Mm -hmm. he was stationed at Fort Ord. There it is. Uh, The kidnapping, yeah, occurred in 1985. So we went from, you know, the 70s with Zeller's murder. Now we've got this kidnapping in 1985. And Cox actually served time in prison for that crime. Um, It was after his release that he went to his boyhood home of Springfield, Missouri. Yes. Boo. For his parents a brief there. time. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And all of that was before. So he was in Springfield in 1992. um, And he was there for quite a while before he moved to Texas. And we do know that once he moved to Texas when he was 35 in 1994, so two years after the Springfield three, um, or yeah, two years, he was arrested for armed robbery in Decatur, Texas at a hair salon. So we've got a hair salon connection there. Hmm. Uh, Yeah. He held a 12 year old girl at gunpoint. And so, I mean, we know he has this history of kidnapping of female victims, Mm -hmm. um, potential threat with a weapon younger female and, and I think that's why a lot yes. of yes a, a lot of people feel like he's responsible in the Springfield three case and it was actually the Zeller family who put Robert Craig Cox on law enforcement's radar mm. because uh after Cox's conviction was overturned. The Zeller family, you know, they've lost their daughter. They're convinced this is the guy. So they started keeping tabs on him. Good for them, yeah. And everywhere where he was moving, yeah. So when they heard about the Springfield Three, you know, knowing Cox to be in Springfield, that's when they immediately call law enforcement. And, you know, when police began digging, they not only found that Cox was in Springfield, but that he actually lived nearby and he had even worked at one point. I'm not for sure how long or when, but at Stacy's with Stacy's father at the same car lot, though it's unclear if they knew each other. Yeah. So, wow. You know, now we're thinking, okay, he's murdered before he's kidnapped before Mm -hmm. there's a link to a hair salon. He's used a weapon, right? Mm -hmm. Um, against these female victims he's in springfield and there's a potential connection to stacy's father and so you know had he seen stacy and Susie, you know had he targeted them right you know all those questions start boiling up only caveat with him would be that if he was say he was going after Stacy. The girl's not supposed to be there that night. Yeah. Unless he right. unless he just assumed they yeah. were. Yeah. Unless he, someone just assumed they were. You might could have right. assumed or he could have followed them that night. Well, maybe he was near the home watch waiting and watching. Yeah. It's possible. It could have been. Yeah. And yeah. we do have also with him another kind of shifting alibi. Okay. Also So initially when he was questioned, he told police that he was at church with his girlfriend on the morning of July 7th. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. And actually when when his girlfriend was questioned, she corroborated his alibi initially. Yeah, but years later when she was re-questioned, she actually recanted her statement and just said that Cox had threatened her and basically insisted that she say, yeah, we were together. Of course we were together at church that day. If he didn't have anything to do with it, that'd be a weird thing. Well, but this is the do. thing. They disappeared right. from 2.15 a.m. to the early morning. Mm-hmm. They That's wouldn't right. have been so what are you doing at church? I know. Yeah. yeah. At church yeah. at 2 o'clock yeah. in the morning. An additional detail to me that made Cox look guilty was due to an interview with a reporter. Cox told KY3 investigative reporter Dennis Graves, who visited Cox in a Texas prison after that knife point robbery, that he knew that the Springfield Three were deceased. So when he meets with this reporter, he's like, yeah, I know that those three ladies are dead. 
And he said, quote, I know they are dead. I'll say that. And I know that, end quote. But he would never say how he knew it, just that he did know it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, one thing I was thinking about, and Allison and I talked about this, is that maybe they used some type of chloroform to get them out. Oh, yeah, a ruse. And so some people think that another potential link to the Springfield 3, it was that Cox was this underground utilities worker and that he used that like hey it's a gas Mm -hmm. man checking for a leak you guys need to Mm -hmm. leave to be sure Mm -hmm. no i actually did um when i had looked up cox previously um i did see several occasions where he had used that ruse to get into Mm -hmm. women's homes and that might explain why the dog was outside yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you too. wouldn't think twice about it. If somebody knocked yeah. on your door and they're in uniform mm-hmm. and they say, you've got a gas leak, it's extremely yeah. dangerous, you need to get out. I mean, I would get out. Even at 2 a.m. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was about to say. Even yeah. at any time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I would be like, yeah, get your stuff. We've got to go. Just come in your pajamas. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a really great point. Yeah. And not even give them time to put that clothes on. That makes the most sense yeah. to me. Yeah. I think that mm-hmm. right there, just that, knowing that he had a history of doing that and it could have been done that night, makes him my number one suspect. But how do you mm-hmm. get them, all three of them into the car? That's where I'm yeah, just like. Know. That's true. Well, he if they were in their underwear, he could have said, "Girls, don't worry about um, it. Jump in the jump in the van. Nobody will see you uh, in there. Yeah, I, I'll yeah, go in yeah. and I'll put on a gas mask. I'll go get you some clothes." I just or don't something. see it though. I don't see the mom doing it. I mean, you never know. Because yeah. they, from things I've read about her, they said she was really careful about things. One thing that I do mm. know from my experience as a nine one one dispatcher and my husband's experience as a paramedic is that you think that you're going to act a certain way in, in an emergency. That's true. Mm-hmm. And most mm-hmm. of the time, you do not act that way. You could be mm-hmm. the most prepared person and be the one who's freaking out the most when something actually right. happens. So well, you just don't right. know what her response could have been. That's true. Mm-hmm. But then I think about like me, if I was 18 and I was in my t-shirt and my panties and it was like 2.30 in the morning and I'd be like, oh, 100% because nobody's looking at me in my panties. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to yeah. go sit in this man's yeah. car. Yeah. yeah. When, especially if there's a busy roadway right near it and, yeah, you know. It makes me wonder if um, if they had locked the cars. Like, do we know if the cars mm. were locked? Uh-huh. I, don't I don't know. Because yeah. that, if the, if he rushed them out the door, now granted they could say, oh, we'll go sit in my car, our own cars. But if their cars mm-hmm. were locked up and he's rushed them out the door, he could say, oh, just mm-hmm. go jump in my van. It's no big deal. Right. And, you know, he right. could have, you know, we're talking about the mom not wanting to get in. And it could have been the girls get in and the door shut. And he's like, well, I have them. You're getting in my van now. That's And then she thing. complies because uh-huh. the girls are there. And that could that could have happened if the girls got in first. And he was like, well, they're already in there. So you're going to get in right. or, or I'm going to take them. So. Right. Yeah. And me as a mama, I don't know. I know you're a mama. Uh, I would have been like, mm-hmm. they're not going anywhere without me. Period. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you jump mm-hmm. out that once you're in and try to get out? And of course, they could have tried to get out. Who knows? Who knows? Right, right. He could have put the yeah. child locks on. I mean, who knows? Yeah, yeah. I think my problem with Cox, and I, I have to bring this up, is that, you know, you guys were talking about serial killers and, um, you know, serial offenders. Yes. Often exaggerating or claiming things mm-hmm. that 
are not true. And Cox did that also. I mean, he was known to exaggerate for attention. Right. Um, he actually told reporters that and, and law enforcement officers that he would tell the truth about the Springfield three when his mother passed away. But wow. he's never given any concrete evidence that would tie him explicitly to the crime. Law enforcement searched sewers because of obviously his history with the Zellers case. Right. They found nothing. And so he also would have known about the Ozarks, though, yeah. and all of the mines and all of the caves because he grew up there in Springfield. Yeah, and that's gonna mm-hmm. that's that's always been my yes. bet. Just the just the same with Tommy. Like people from that area, ju- they know the caves. They know the cave system. Mm-hmm. They know of places that like your normal person wouldn't know about there and okay so I also I don't know why this just made me remember when we went into that bookstore there mm-hmm. while we were there and we were getting that book which great no book one store. should read by the way great bookstore <laughs> the great bookstore but we got we found a book in there about the Springfield three we thought that oh. it was about the Springfield it was three. good too it was good however it they took facts from the case and then made up an investigation to go along with it that they did oh, on their no. own. During 2020. During COVID, hmm. where they hmm. claimed to have gone and investigated this case, and it that's not the case. They did not do that. Mm. They didn't they didn't even talk to anybody from the case. None of that. So oh. we read this whole f- stinking book. <laughs> I know, and I was all right. into it. And then I yeah. called I called Raven and I was I was like, guess what? There was this. There was this, and I'm not going to give away, but there was this private investigator. She's like, no, there wasn't. I said, okay, I just watched a interview with those two guys, which it's a father and a son in the book, they're brothers. Um, But I was like, I just watched an interview with them and they said, none of that is true. So Mm. like literally none of it. The only thing that was true was when they were describing the case and what actually happened, just like we did. And then they just made a bunch of stuff up. That's the book we were, we were getting in that little bookstore. And then this woman who was checking out next to us said that she was around at that time. And she said the aluminum plant. Yes. She said, check, check Mm. the aluminum plant. There's also this huge, like mine pit and we drove by it on yes, the way there. Yeah. It goes down like hundreds of feet where uh, they yeah. have like dug out, dug holes. There's all these pits and mines and all sorts of stuff just right there on the outskirts. And she said that that had been there. Yeah. During that time. And she she said she thought it who did she say she thought it I was? I don't remember. I can't remember who she said, but she said specifically the aluminum plant. Yeah. It, the aluminum plant, it was um, Gerald Carnahan. Carnahan. Mm. She that's, said that's she knew she him. Said. That's yeah. who she said. And she, she said she knew that guy, yeah. Yeah, she knew him. Yeah. So you've mm. seen people that live there that have all these theories. Yes. And these yeah. are people right. that are from there. It's so funny because we, we, we stood there and talked about that for like a good 20 minutes yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> i love just talking well she just started talking to me and i'm like okay keep going because you, you know yeah, tell, right. me, tell me your me. theories because yeah. these are locals yeah. and yes. you're like you're, yeah. you know i'm eating this up i'm like yeah tell me right yeah i don't know if i'm convinced on any particular theory over the other ones that's what i was about to say too i will say i do think that whomever it was the green van is definitely part of it mm-hmm. because I feel like yeah. law enforcement wouldn't spend, they wouldn't spend so 
many resources. Right. Time, get the highway money. patrol involved and yeah. all that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If if that were not somehow verified as, as as a legitimate connection to the case. Yeah, and I do also believe um that they released a sketch. They did. They actually released no, it wasn't a sketch, it was a it, it was a, a photo. They went out and found a basically mm-hmm. a duplicate of yeah. that van that they were looking for and released that photo to the public. So it's creepy. So they really did think that that had something mm-hmm. to do with it. And then Steve Garrison gave the tip that was related to a green van. So right. yes. he obviously has some sort of insider knowledge about a green van. Right. I mean, to me, all of these guys sound similar because all of them are mm-hmm. roamers. They all roam across mm-hmm. committing these crimes. I mean, I but don't know. my mm-hmm. thing is, where are they getting all the same information to tell the police that people wouldn't know if they don't know each other? I don't know. You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. there's something missing. I think that about wraps it up. I mean, obviously, this is still unsolved. Obviously, these girls are still missing. Yes. There has been no one to even say close to where their bodies are Which located. Which is horrible. And again, I do want to bring up the point that this is the Ozarks. And there are caves and oh, cave yes. systems and mines lakes. and mine systems, lakes, mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff out there where bodies could maybe not be found for ever and ever. So if you know, if you're local and you know that sort of information, there's a good chance that, I mean, even like with the Freeman Bible case we were talking about, like you could go and put the bodies in one of these mine shafts or caves and just simply collapse it and no one would ever know. Yeah. And then the water underneath would probably flow it down. So they would be far away from where you've dumped them. So who knows? I don't know why my gut leads me away from Cox, and I, was I, d- about I don't to say know that why. Too, and I don't know why. I, if, yeah. if I had to pick one, I I lean toward Steve Garrison. Yeah, and I also don't fully believe the um, trafficking theory that this was a trafficking mm-hmm. thing. No, now, yeah, because if you are any sort of criminal. At the time, you're going to know how to leave those signs, and you might be deterring. You know, it might be a red herring. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I just don't know. I, I just don't know. I don't think the trafficking comes into it at all. I, I just don't. I literally don't have a theory, because every single thing we talk about, I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. And then I'm like, but. And right. then we go to the next one, I'm right. like, oh, yeah. And then I'm like, but. Yeah. <laughs> you want me to tell Thing. you mine? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to cut this out. Am I going to cut Why would I cut it out? It's Jeremy Jones. Oh. <laughs> your, your thing with everyone ever is Jeremy Jones. Jeremy Jones. We also talked about Jeremy Jones. He was a lot like Tommy Lynn Sells in this area and around those we areas We don't know he well. wasn't there during that time. We don't. And Jeremy Jones did know the cave system and the mine system very well. Um, he mm. also liked to boast about things that he did and did not do. Yes. So, I mean, who knows? And he could have. And he knew Tommy Lynn Sells. He knew Missouri. So it's possible they could have went well, through there together. It's possible. Could have. Yeah, in the Ozarks. Who knows? Who knows? Well, I want to say a thank you to Coffee and Cases for diving into this with us. Yes, uh, thank yeah. you so much. We actually didn't think, I, I thought this was going to be a quick one. And here we are, two hours in. But once you get into it and you unravel it, there's actually quite a lot to this case. Yeah, Yeah. there is a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So thank you guys so much for being yes, with thank us. You. We thank appreciate you. it. It was fun. Enjoyed thank you. you. Yeah. Um, you can find Coffee and Cases wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us, Sirens, wherever you get your podcasts. Again, if anyone out there has any information in this case, if you've heard your dad or grandpa or somebody talking about it that you think they have pertinent information, um, you can always call, obviously, the Springfield Police Department. Um, you can send in your anonymous tips on the FBI tip line. Again, I will put that in the show notes. And other than that, it's just a mystery. You've reached the end of our episode. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Join Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?